what is the best thing to you about surfing? That it's my job. <laughs> you can, is that your dream to your full-time job and someone asks you what your occupation is going to be and, and, and your, that's what you want to reply with? Yeah, they'll be like, oh, what do you do for a job? I own a business. Nah, I surf. And who's your idol? Uh, my idol is Kelly Slater, but, um, you know, I have a really, um, he's, uh, plays in a different sport and his name's Tony Bill Williams. You know, he's a uh, really inspirational, uh, you know, looks and all. <laughs> <laughs> Try and get the same haircut as him. <laughs> and, um, yeah, nah, he's just really inspirational and, uh, mentally as well. And, um, you know, and he gives everything 120%. And you can see that on and off the field and in the gym. So, yeah, that's what I want to be. My name's Kew Butler. I'm 15 years old. I go to Mount Maunganui College and I surf for the New Zealand Junior Surf Team. Does it ever um, matter that, you know, your dad was a surfer and now you're, you're a surfer and you've probably um, gone a little bit further than your dad did? Do you ever use that against him? Yeah, all the time. You know, he... He always tries to pull a few tricks, but I just backfired at him. <laughs> In the last few weeks, Kehu, his dad Khan, and his koro Kehu Kehu Butler have returned from the Visla ISA World Junior Surfing Championships in California. Kehu earned a 29th placing. The competition had 100 or so surfers from around the world, and Kehu was part of the New Zealand Junior Surfing Team. Tonight we join Takiri Butler, our Tiahika contributor this week, who talks to Māori in her community and her family about how physical activity and fitness is nurtured at a Māori community and whānau level. Um, uh, my name is Taimana Maripori Bennett and I am seven and I go to Arataki School. Yep. And do you like climbing up the mount? Yeah. Yeah, sit little boy, eh? Hey, what do you think about Nanny Diane um, climbing up the mountains with you? Pretty cool, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's a bit harder for her? Yes. <laughs> and a bit easier for you, eh? Yeah. But do you like coming along and supporting Nan? Yeah. And what's your favourite thing about going up the mountain with Nanny Diane? Um, get an ice cream at the end. <laughs> That's the mokopuna, or grandchild, of Tiana Bennett. Tiana talks openly about her devastating diagnosis that prevented her from strenuous physical activity. And ultimately, it meant many years before she could walk up her ancestral mountain, Mowal. Fifteen years ago, when I was age 40, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And that really put a dampener on all my activity. So it took me 13 years to get back up. Um, just with my pain and everything else, I wasn't able to. And then I got put on a wonder drug in January and in June I um, made my first hikoi up in 13 years. Feedback from a judging panel about looking too huffed and puffed on stage led to one kapahaka group taking up the whittle or challenge to walk up mobile for 30 days straight. Huckerford actually started from a, um, it didn't start until January, but um, there were a number of us um, around Christmas. You know, we just, we, we were going into Christmas and I think it was myself and a couple of us who said, oh, we're going to go for a walk on Boxing Day. Boxing Day, yeah. And so I think there was only like about half a dozen of us mm. got together from our from our Kapaka group. <laughs> and we got together that morning and decided to go for a walk up the Monga. 
And we went up, and I, was, and, um, and I said, hey, I'm going to go every, every morning. Every morning. Who's coming? Takari Butler presents He Ora Tinana, part two of a health series here on Tiahika. I'm Justine Murray. What does physical fitness look like when practiced as a whānau, community, hapu and iwi? The butler, Bennett Fano encourage, support and practice physical fitness. Fishing, surfing, tennis, rugby, touch and running is part and parcel of their fitness regime. Mowa or Mount Maunganui is used as a training ground and in the lead up to this year's Te Matatini, the National Kapahaka Competition, the two local Kapahaka groups, Tutarakauika Kirangataiwa and Ngāti Nui, took on the Haka Fit Challenge. The Pūrāko or traditional story of Mowao. Mount Maunganui, is well known in the area. It makes reference to the surrounding districts and marks, geographically, the makeup of Tauranga Moana. Takari Butler joins celestial navigator expert Jack Thatcher, who explains the legend of Mowal, and in the process has possibly found a niche as a storyteller. Give us the corridor, give us the lowdown. OK, so if you look at Mowal, and you see him there standing beside the beach looking out to sea, yearningly. He probably wants to turn around and look back at uh, what he left behind because he used to live up in the Hotere, which is the hills uh, up in the background of Tauranga Mona uh, between the two mountains, Otane Wainuku and Pūwhenua. And in those days when mountains could dream and walk and talk, but I couldn't walk, they had to be dragged. Yeah. Uh, there were times when even mountains could feel desire and love and of course Moal fell in love with the beautiful Pūwhenua he'd look at her with all her greenery, her finery all of those things that made her beautiful you know those lovely Nico palms with their little droopy leaves and all of those rata and kahikatea and tōtara all those beautiful trees that used to grow there It must have been a beautiful sight back uh, when Moa was a young mountain. Anyway, <clears throat> he fell in love with Pūwhenua, but unfortunately for him, she didn't love him. She had her eyes set on the great Otane Wonuku, the beautiful statuesque mountain that stands between the lakes of Rotorua and the Moana of Tauranga. So Otane Wonuku stands in all his grandeur, like a great mountain, one that we can use to name ourselves by. He had the eye of the beautiful Pufinua. So, of course, a little bit of grief, a little bit of despair, and our little mountain decides, I can't stand this anymore. I'm going to be an emo and drown myself in the ocean. So, <clears throat> he called upon the Patupairehe, those little fairy peoples that live in the Hotere forest. And he called upon them and said, can you, t- can you take me on a journey to the ocean where I can drown my sorrows in the great Mona Nui, Akiwa? So, <clears throat> Patuopayarehe came, they went into the bush and they wove great ropes or vines and they used these to encircle the little mountain. And they pulled them to the south, they pulled them to the west, they pulled them every which way to loosen him from the earth. And then they dragged him from there down to the harbour side. 
On the way down, the mountain created a valley and a stream that travels all the way to the Waimapu. And at the Waimapu, they dragged him through the waters to help float him. But as he was dragging, he created the channels that we now know today as Tawanui. And that channel runs from the Waimapu, and it comes out around by Haidini, down the Maungatapu uh, Peninsula, and then separates and joins the stream that was coming from the Rangatoa. And from there it comes down and he drags past Matapihi, past Te Papa, and out towards the sand spit that we know of today as Maunganui, obviously named after him. <clears throat> and he got dragged all the way through the night. And as we know, the Patupairehe, they can't stand the light of day. So they dragged him and they pulled him and they got him to the beach. And just as they were going to help him to force himself into the ocean and drown his sorrows and his pain, the sun rose. The Patupairehe melted back to the Hotere. And of course, he got stuck on the beach, looking out to sea. One good thing about looking out to sea, he couldn't see his darling behind him. And in looking out to sea, he could also see that he was never going to be able to fulfill his desperate need of drowning his despair in the ocean. And of course, today he still stands there. And the thing about, about having a little mountain like that, uh, standing at the entrance to a beautiful harbour, it, beca it becomes a very iconic picture for the peoples that came to this place after that event. Mm. And of course, over the centuries, over the millenniums, that this place, well, it may, may not be millenniums, but at least centuries. Over the centuries when people came to dwell in this area, they took note of the little mountain, and in their eyes he grew to become a towering being of statuesque beauty for those that live in this place. Mm. And now today we identify ourselves in our pepeha. Mm. And of course the peoples that live here identify themselves by that mountain. So if he was able to turn around and look back in to Pufenua and Otane Wainuku, he would say to them, look at me now, I'm the chief. <laughs> I suppose that's a, a, a sort of like, uh, how would you call that? That's a, a light way of looking at, mm. at, uh, at how our place came into being. Mm. And of course, Tawanui, the great river that he created by dragging himself to the ocean, now is our harbour. So where we're standing right now, we're just looking out over into the harbour and to the and to the sea, and straight down into those ugly oceanside buildings. Um, but we've just come up those steps, and I was just saying to you, Takarie, that I felt that really, it was good. I mean, I haven't been up for about three or four weeks, and it's quite easy for me at the moment. All right, so we thought we'd bring the interview outside of the uh, radio studio today, and uh, we've got Tiana here, who basically will give us your story in the background. 15 years ago, when I was age 40, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and that really put a dampener on all my activity. So it took me 13 years to get back up, um, just with my pain and everything else, I wasn't able to, and then I got put on a wonder drug in January, and 
in June I um, made my first hikoi up in 13 years. So that was coming up oh, just on two years ago now. It's, it's just fantastic. And of course it, you didn't do it like straight away, you built yourself up to it and worked it out in stages, so talk to us a little bit about that. Yes I did, so um, I started my wonder jug in January, I think I started walking around home at Hungaroo in the mornings, building into sort of 3-5k walks. Um, by April I'd done a 7k walk and then another 10k walk and sort of by, I think it was around May, I decided I was going to start getting up the mount, so I took I think about five to six weeks to get myself up, but I did it in stages I think I could have done a good whack of it at the beginning, because I felt really good and I, like I said, I wasn't in pain mm. great thing about it was that I had my whanau and my mokos with me and today one of those is with us today as well well done. So we just finished this, the stone steps and I mean, talk to us about this area here because um, being a local I know that we've used this area before in the past for a few certain things, for a few different events. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, it's such a beautiful spot. We come from a beautiful place, say, at Tauranga Moana and a beautiful manga. We've had a wedding around the corner here. We buried our, some of our babies' whenua up on the maunga, overlooking both Mōtiti Island and on the other side of Rangiwaia. So, yeah, very special place to have so many special things. I got married some 30 years ago just down at the foot of the base of Mawal on the beach there. So, um, yeah, very special place. So we've arrived at our next destination here on Mowal. So I'll let Auntie Di just explain where we've stopped. Yeah, well, we've just come up the northwest facing, uh, facing track, so we've just come turned in. But there's always a landmark that I, um, I always stretch. Even if I'm feeling good, I stretch my legs because of my muscles and for arthritis. So we're just sitting on the seat overlooking Wedding Rock and Mōtiti Island and two who are on our left there. So a beautiful sight. And we're just letting people walk past us as well. Yeah, making way for, for the masses. You've been climbing up this mountain since when? Oh, I probably started when I was about 13, so 1973. 1973. <laughs> now, ages ago, eh, Taimana? <laughs> now, in terms of the number of people that we've seen here today, I mean, you compare that to back in 1973, and, and I'm assuming it's not just the amount of people that you see that's changed, but the type as well, eh? Yeah, definitely. Like I recall, uh, like working, I started my job in 16 at the Harbour Board and I used to do the run around the Mount Base at lunchtime and go up at lunchtime. That was when I was 16. Um, you know, you could count how many people were doing that on two hands and two feet. Mm. But now, I mean, I don't know if it's a good thing, but I guess, you know, for Marwell having so many people on him, but I think it's also a great thing because so many people are utilising our, our natural environment for their gains and their exercise and their fitness. It's awesome. In Taimana, we don't see too many kids coming up the mount, but we saw a few up, up there before, eh? Do, um, do you see many of your friends come up the mount or do you know if they, they come up the mount a lot? I don't, I, oh, no, I don't think so. No. It's quite a high mountain for a little seven-year-old boy, but you're running up and down the stairs and doing <laughs> and doing lots of shuttles like it's nothing. Are you even tired? No. <laughs> Are you even sweating? Yep. You're sweating a little bit, eh? <laughs> even with your short hair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so in terms of how far we're up the mountain, probably, I don't know. Probably, I don't know. A quarter of the way, maybe? Maybe a bit less. Maybe. But less, yeah. We haven't done those big, huge steps yet. Yeah, we're about <laughs> to approach the death stairs. Um, but it's a pretty nice view out yeah. there, eh, Ty? Yeah. Yeah. You like looking at the water? <clears throat> you were talking to me about those buildings down the bottom. What do they look like to you? Toys. Why? Because they're so little. Mm. And what are those cool things on top of the hotel roofs that we can see from here? 
pools. Swimming pool on the roof, pretty cool, eh? Yeah. <laughs> this is our third stop. Yeah, so we've just done that pool of death, the steps, yeah. and come into the most beautiful view as you come up that way, looking down on the coast and overlooking Motoriki and, and Rabbit Island and the Mount. So we've just come to the bridge. So when I used to do this in the 70s and 80s, there was never a bridge. And I don't recall it ever when I was doing it in the 90s when I got my arthritis. So I don't know if it's a new thing or not, but um, it's great to be here. It's a beautiful, beautiful spot to stop. Mm. And when you stopped here two years ago, you, you mentioned something when you had done it for the first time in 13 years or so. Yeah, because I came up those death of steps and came up across the ridge to look out over the coast. So it was full of emotion for me. I actually cried and had tears because I hadn't seen that view for 13 years. So... Um, it's still magical, but I can hold back the tears now. <laughs> and you mentioned the, the death stairs, which are, are quite the steepest yeah. climb of stairs uh, on the mount. And how did you feel during that, all right? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I mean, I'm surprised that I'm still reasonably fit. It's just my legs because of my arthritis. And, um, you know, I've got a knee replacement and a foot fusion, so the muscle strength isn't there. And I just I said to Tuck, I'm not tired. I'm just huffing and puffing because I've got to work my legs harder. Yeah. But I feel fine. You know, I'm up here now, and it's just great. So Nanny Diane's got arthritis in her legs. Do you know what that is? No. Should we get Nanny Diane to explain? Yeah. So, okay, Ty, you know how Nanny always has to sit down a lot and put her feet up and get yeah. people to carry things for me? That's because I have arthritis. So my arthritis is rheumatoid, and it's a disease that's in my blood, and it travels in my blood and goes round and round my body. So my muscles are working over overtime to, to help 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 the blood flow through my body easily and that's why my muscles get really tired so that's why I'm tired all the time because it's called fatigue oh yeah so it's is it uh, the joint pain is it like that sharp yeah. pain the joint pain is definitely there mm. it definitely is but it's nothing compared to the tiredness that you feel and the fatigue that you feel from your muscles I mean I I, I can overcome the pain mm. you know I mean I'm, I'm used to it now um, but the magic medicine that I got on two years ago has helped and I don't have pain. So although my muscles are tired, I don't have the pain so I can get out and be active. Mm. So explain to Ty what the pain, how, describe to to our little seven-year-old here the pain of having arthritis. Okay, the pain from in my joints and things is like cutting glass. So if I was to get a, a broken glass and cut you, cut your body, cut your hands or your legs, that's how it would feel. So it would be just going like this. <laughs> that's how the pain is but the pain in my muscles it's not really a pain it's just a real tired yeah. tiredness yeah so imagine trying to walk up the mount of glass in your in your <laughs> legs that would be pretty sore eh? yeah that's what nanny dine's got to feel all the time no good eh <laughs> mm -hmm. so you're going to help nan get to the top yeah all right should we go yeah okay. yeah let's go let's go all right so we've made it to the top so well done far note <laughs> time under how was that good yeah he's got you're not even sweating was it hard <laughs> Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, Di, we've made it to the top, and um, I mean, it was—it's been two years since you made the first climb. How much easier, or was it harder? Was it the same? Um, I think it's—it's it's a lot easier. Like I said earlier, I think I'm still reasonably fit. It's just those muscles working overtime to get me up there, carry this big body of mine. So, looking out on the view, I mean, you can now that we're at the top, you can see everything. But I mean, go back to to the '70s, like you said earlier. How has this view changed? I mean, you must have some kind of a, a timeline, like a, a time lapse, going on in, in your head, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's still, you know, it's magical. I mean, the the vista that we have here is fantastic. But as you look over, you know, down towards the coast, I mean, there's so many buildings now. The buildings right down the bottom on the face of the mount, you know, they're all, you know, six, seven stories high, and they're ugly. 
you know, yeah. <laughs> amount. If I was a millionaire, I'd probably buy one just to have it as a weekend holiday place. But definitely the views change, the coastlines change. Um, but as you look out towards Tuhua and, you know, down Matakana, that view hasn't changed. It's always been the same. When we look over to Rangiwaia, where we're from, and we have our whare over there, you know, there's a few more houses there. But it hasn't changed that much on that side. But as you look down the coast to Putmire and the Mount, heaps of building going on down there. So, yeah, that has changed, definitely. For me, when I think back to the 70s and the 80s when I used to come up here, I was blown away by, like, the ships in the harbour and what was happening down there and, you know, f having those magical feelings of all those ships coming through, you know. But that, I was only young then, and I guess it's about progress. Um, you know, we, I guess it's all about eco economy and all that kind of stuff to get those big ships in. But, you know, it's to the detriment of, like, of, of us, of our, of our kaimoana. So, you know, that's really sad. But, you know, as much as I hate to say it, I guess we're lucky we can just go up to Whangamataa or go down to Makatu and get some pipi as well. So definitely sad because that's something that we brought our kids up in. You know, yous, we were brought up with that. Um, we were brought up gathering pipi in Whangamataa. But, you know, Summer, who's 25, she was brought up, you know, paddling the walkers out there when she was only five and getting pipi from there. So, yeah, very sad. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about the tinana, of course, mm. um, with, the, with the arthritis. It's not an easy climb, not for anyone of, of any age. Um, getting up the mount so I mean how's the body feeling now? Oh the body's feeling fine I'm, I'm actually really buzzy and I wanted to when we left the bridge I wanted to run it actually because that's what I used to do and run up most of it really um, but you know I can't um, one thing I do find though when I come up all those steps I have to take them two steps you know what I mean yeah. I, I can't do one step at a time I have to t yeah my feet have to go on twice and um, and then I can only take off on my right leg because I've had the knee replacement on the left so that kind of makes it that's what I mean about my legs they just aren't strong enough really at 15 years old Kehu Butler is already a seasoned traveler he has been to a dozen countries. The most recent was in California, where he competed at the World Junior Surfing Championships. Kihu's whakapapa, or genealogy, has a strong link to surfing. His dad, Khan, and Kuro Kihu Kihu Butler are former surfers, and his dad manages the New Zealand Junior Surfing Team. As a young professional athlete, Kihu is building up his profile. He has the awards, trophies, and sponsorship pool to prove it, and he seems to be taking it in his stride. His dad, Khan, accompanies Kehu all over the world. Khan is mindful that there needs to be a balance of staying humble while in the surfing spotlight. So, how does a family foster sport within a whānau context, only for it to lead to an international career? Takari is with Khan Butler. Let's talk about surfing um, from, from a Māori perspective. Now, when you speak about Māori people taking part in sports, it's usually the team sports that, you know, our Māori people lean towards the netball, the rugby, the touch. It's not that often that our Māori people excel in these individual sports, but obviously um, Kihu is doing that. What sets him apart from, from other young Māori? You know, why did he take up a, a sport where it, it's just him out there? Yeah, you're right in terms of team sports. I mean, um a lot of us are Māori, uh, you know, kind of whānau orientated and, and when you get a team sport like rugby or, or league and everything, it just, everything clicks and um, you just click together and the camaraderie and the banter and everything is, is really good and it's awesome actually. But yeah, and you, you're right, it's a lonely sport when you're in an individual sport and um, it's just that Kehu's lucky that he, he actually absolutely loves that sport. That sport is uh, is really... 
spiritual, I guess, and um, just being out there, sun setting uh, with a few of your mates and perfect waves coming towards you. I mean, the, you look at the, the playing field that surfers have, there's not often you'll go to a tennis court, a tennis player say, oh, man, check out that tennis court. Man, that's so good. That tennis court's going off. I mean, it's it's kind of a new, um, yeah, it's a new outlook when you're looking at an individual sport like surfing. The number of Māori people surfing, do you reckon it's grown over the years? I've always been. Māori are so naturally gifted in, in the water and surfing. I mean, you know, the generations there looking underneath the water to get kai for their whānau, um, but they are so talented. When I Every time I push off a young Māori kid straight from the rugby field, he gets up straight away, um, and, and they just have an affinity to the, to the water and, and take to it. Um, it's just really hard because if your family doesn't traditionally surf, then it's, it's harder for them to bring them down and, um, and uh, you know, come down to the beach every day and then see them surf and help them out. And then um, and, and you'll see those talented, really talented surfers uh, kind of go back to their team sports and their rugby and everything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'd love to see more and more uh, Māori surfers. Uh, they're so good at it yeah. and, and it's such a healthy and clean and vibrant, yeah. yeah. We're sitting in, in Kihu's house right about now, and I'm looking around. There are trophies, there are surfing wetsuits, and all kinds of, um, I guess you could say, goodies that I'm assuming has been given to him. So let's talk a little bit about the incentives, and I guess you could say the props that Kihu gets from being a surfer, because it's not just a sport where he plays just for fun. He's at a level now, I suppose, where he has different sponsors, and I guess you could say almost, you know, contract obligation type things as well. Uh, yeah, Kiu's pretty lucky. He's uh, he's well looked after uh, by the by the sponsors that he has. Um, there's a few of them. There's Quicksilver is his main one, and then he's got um, uh, also electric sunglasses, and 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 there's a few there that just constantly help out his um, surfboard shaper, and that they he gives them cheap boards, and it's really uh, it's yeah he's lucky I guess he's lucky that he can um, do something that he loves, and then they support him with it. Um, we're always wary on, um, you know, we, we work hard to try and get him to that stage wherever he needs to go. We work hard to do to get them there, and we treat his sponsorships as a, that's an added bonus sort of thing. So um, I know there's a lot of parents out there that demand, you know, from sponsors and that, and we just want to play it at the angle where, well, whatever you can do is is, is helpful. We don't know. It's been working so far. Um we're ringawera type people and we don't like to push our and 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 maori in general aren't hey look at me look at me they're kind of you know put others first and and do all the hard work behind the scenes which is um which is as a whanau we're kind of struggling with putting them out there because the main obligation nowadays uh is is social media and and um instagram and all that and who struggles to do the old Look at me, look at me. Here's here's this and that. I'm doing this and that, um, but that's one of their main obligations because that's how many followers they get. Um, we're trying to, we're trying to maybe play that card as as not look at me so much, but just this is a humble boy, and we post a little bit different stuff rather than all the um, you know because we're from that old school karate kumara e korero ana tanareka or waihoma tetahi atu he korero. Um, more, more. To, so we try and we try and balance that, um, balance that up. Now, every time he wins a competition here in New Zealand, there's um, not only just prizes, but there's prize money as well. I've heard he's won a few uh, big, big packets of money in the um, overseas tournaments. Yeah, um, 
It's more so his um, incentives from his sponsors. So they've recognised that he's um, got something, and so they've yeah they've been giving us a few big incentives. If you win this, boy, you, you get this. So um, yeah, the incentives would be nice to help pay all the bills that we you know that we travel around and put them through. Uh, so if he wins more, then you know they kind of can pay for itself after a while. Um, but yeah, going back to what you said before, I mean, there's so many talented young Maori out there, and um, and one thing that sticks out is is hard work. I mean, a lot of us uh, as Maori that it could be talented. If you think about all the Sean Johnsons and all the all the uh, you know the Ricardo Christies out there, and that have played so well. There was always probably about three or four others that were probably better, mm. and um, that didn't quite make it. And it's just for unforeseen circumstances that they don't work. But I can guarantee you that working your butt off yeah. um, gets you gets you where you need to be. Talk to us a little bit about the the pedigree of surfers uh, within Kihu's family. Your your brother, of course, um, Matt Kihu's uncle, and um, even you know your your uncle Paul Bennett is the well, was the very first Māori to win a, a surfing nationals. Yeah, so the whānau are pretty um, pretty big in the water. Um, even if it wasn't riding on top of the water, it was underneath the water, um, you know, getting kai. Uh, so, I mean, he had no choice, really. Eh? It was like we all go down the beach, um, either jump in the water and have a, have a surf or or just sit on the beach and watch. But, yeah, as soon as he, as soon as he jumped on the, on the water, it was, oh, well, there's another generation um, that... Um, will love it and and yeah you've got to love it I guess I mean it's really hard to keep pushing yourself through all the all the you know the professionalism and all that sort of stuff when you when you don't love it anymore so you really have to kind of love it and and I think that's where you get the fine balance of you know all the obligations versus the the actual real love you know that kid that first jumped on the board and surfed and that smile that you had when you first rode your wave all the way to the sand same sort of thing like um, Dan Carter, I guess, when when he starts thinking about when he was a kid, loved kicking the ball over the goal. Um, he'll find his his mojo and play the the best that will see him as well. So, yeah, you find that balance, and I think that's what will be successful in the end. Now, you you've been overseas a few times, either as Kihu's coach or surfing in competitions yourself, or as a manager of this New Zealand junior surf team. In terms of the Māori culture that that you obviously take overseas with you, how do people from other countries how do they react when when they see the haka, when they they see people with tāmoko? I mean, what's the kind of reaction you get? Oh yeah, they love the uh, culture. Eh? They, I mean, when you're at a world's sort of thing. You really do see the spirit of humanity at its best because they all appreciate each other's, you know, cultures, and they they are all like, oh, so what do you do here, or what does that mean, and and um, you know, is it cold at where you live, and all that sort of stuff, and those are the connections that make make these things. So sometimes, as they say, it's probably a cliche, but it's not always the destination, but it's the journey, and we relish both. Obviously, Kihi wants to be a world champion. But the journey is probably just as important and, and making those connections. Now, some of these overseas trips cost a big load of money. So, I mean, we're talking how many thousands here? Uh, in the tens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at how many places we travel to, um, we are lucky, though, that that uh, his major sponsors do help yeah. with, with some of that. So, And then some of the comps that he goes to, he's won them as well. So they get some of them get funded. But... 
yeah, if you're not well funded by um, sponsors or anything else, it's pretty hard to get mm. to that top level, and you need to be at that top level to compete at yeah. the top level. So if you're around the best in the world, then that's how you get how you get good, basically. Yeah. That's why we got so many really good rugby players because we are the best rugby team in the world. The so the yeah, so that's the best breeding the best, basically. Kihu began surfing as a five-year-old, and today he is a regular on the Australasian surfing circuit. Now, competing at that level is one thing, but having Dad for a coach, uncles as mentors, and a whānau entourage is quite another. Do you take on board what, what you say? Because it can't be easy having a father as a coach, um, you know, being a teenager. You kind of get that natural tendency to rebel against your, against your old man. Does that come into play? Yeah, yeah, it does come into play. We have a few arguments here and there, but we normally, um, you know, find, you know, the um, the cure for that, and um, we end up, you know, planning things out and making things work somehow. But yeah, it's still good to have him as a coach. Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't get in the way of the surfing then? Nah, it doesn't. If for anything, it kind of you know connects and links into the same kind of. Yeah aspects around surfing so yeah that's good uh, obviously your your day-to-day routine to mates that are around your same age I mean you'd be doing things differently training eating that kind of stuff so just talk us through it my daily routine would be to wait for dad to get me up and uh, and then we'll check the surf and if it's up we'll go surfing and then dad will just critique on what I need to do and we'll just keep going at it come in Eat some. We'll try to eat some healthy food, a lot of fruits and a lot of fluids, and then we go back out surfing and yeah, come in, have dinner, and then just rest up. And then, of course, obviously, not everything that you do for training is done in the water. Obviously, you've got to train outside the water as well. So, what are we doing there? Um, I train at uh, speed training, race speed training. Yeah, he um helps me a lot with my strength and my conditioning and my flexibility as well, which you know, um, uh, helps me get a little bit better and um, stronger in my surfing, which helps a lot. So how many hours a day do you reckon you put into into your surfing? When we have surf, I'll try to put in at least two surfs, which each surf would take around about three hours. So, yeah, that's what I try and do. And, of course, um, you still get time to be a normal teenager? Yeah, I get a little bit of time to be a normal teenager, just hang out with my mates and uh, go skating and uh, yeah, surf as well with my mates and it's, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, now of course, um, you know, you, you come from a, a family of, of Māori speakers, of course, your, your grandfather and namesake as well, uh, fluent in te reo Māori, so does, does he kind of um, remind you to make sure that you, you carry that Māori tanga with you? Yeah, of course, my whole family um, helps me remind myself that uh, to carry my Māori tanga and you know I'm proud to be one it's it's an honour to you know have that Māori background because yeah you get a, that really strong family um, Māori support around here yeah, around that environment and it's good to have you know that around me so and I like it yeah um, How do you feel when, when, when you're coming out, out of that water and you see your whānau walk down to the beach getting ready to do the haka? Yeah, I feel honoured and I feel stoked. It's just a, you know, a feeling that you don't normally get because uh, it's really unique our our culture to be able to have the opportunity to do that. So, uh, do people overseas ask you about it? Like, did they come up to you and say, you know, what what was that that was happening at the beach, or maybe they ask you about about your koro and, and his tattoos, his tamoko? Do you get much of that overseas? 
Yeah, I, I get a lot of that. I get, you know, a lot about my grandfather and um, yeah, my koro and all his tattoos. You know, does it hurt? What does this mean? Yeah. I'm like, to be honest, I, I don't really know. And he just looks scary. <laughs> yeah, he just looks scary. But, yeah, no, a lot of people um, ask um, what the huck is about and um, is it a war cry and kind of give my perspective of what the hacker is and yeah and why you do it you definitely tell us what you what you do get exactly because i mean um it's hard for people to see what i'm looking at but i mean you're obviously decked out from head to toe and you get all the all the extras what's your favorite thing to get uh between surfboards shoes yeah, I love my shoes. Love I just shoes. I just have a thing for shoes, like Nike shoes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I quite like my shoes. Yeah, I'd have to say shoes. And your glasses as well? Do you do your whānau try and hum me some free gears off you? You know what? My dad goes in my drawer and gets all my clothes and socks and then grabs my glasses, puts them on, and then starts wrecking them. <laughs> watches as well? Did you get some jewellery, some bling? Yeah, yeah, I get watches. Dad steals those too. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm lucky to have that and... um. You know, to all my um, to my iwi's who are giving me th- these opportunities to go overseas and um, you know, accomplish my goals is a, you know, a big thing, and I'm very thankful for that. So now I heard that you bought yourself um some goodies with your your last, uh, what you could say your your pay packet and with your prize money and added on to that prize money, and then you went for a bit of a shopping spree and you bought yourself a special toy. Talk to us about that. Yeah, now I brought me a. Yeah, uh, a jet ski, you know, so I can go give me some pippies and um, <laughs> all that with the whānau. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a, probably the best toy I've ever had. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I look after it very well because I don't want it to be broken or anything happen to it. So, yeah. When the whānau travelled to compete internationally, Kihu's family aimed to keep him grounded. His grandfather and namesake, Kihu Kihu Butler, has been right at his side. Uh, do you do you think that it helps you guys being there with them? I think it does help uh, help a lot. Just having the family support there and the support from all the other team members and parents who follow follow the team around the place. Being from a Māori family, that Māori culture, he said, is very important to him as well. How important is uh, is the Māori tikanga and the culture to Kihu when he's travelling overseas? I think the, the culture in Tikonga is a big thing. Uh, uh, very proud being a Māori. Just travelling around and having cultural exchange uh, with all these other indigenous races throughout the world, uh, it's really good to promote where we come from and who we are as a people. Do you, I guess you could say, because, I mean, you yourself, you've got the full-face tāmoko, and I guess a lot of people around the world aren't used to seeing that, so does that get you a lot of attention? Uh, very much so. I've just spent uh, a few hours talking with the uh, Nicaragua team and Puerto Rico team. Um, everybody uh, that are game enough to come up and say hello and to talk about the Māori culture and where we're from and history and that, end up yeah, talking quite a bit with people. So as, as a grandparent, obviously, you see your moko, you know, competing against the best in the world. How proud, how proud does that make you? There, there's no words to describe. You know, that's that's your blood, that's your grandson, uh, whether it's him or, or another of the grandchildren. You know, the the whole idea from a whānau perspective is you have to be there to, to tautoko no matter what. Jack Thatcher has been a celestial navigator for the past 27 years. 
He was mentored by Micronesian navigator Mao Pialug. But back home in Tauranga, Jack is also involved with Kapahaka Group Tutarakauika Kirangatawa. And when they competed at the Mātātua Regional Competition in 2014, they got some sobering feedback from the judges that the group looked a bit tired on stage after the haka. As a member and supporter of the group since its inception in the mid-1990s, the idea of haka fit grew after Jack walked up the mountain on Boxing Day and gave himself a physical challenge to do it again the next day. From this idea, haka fit was born. I think there was only like about half a dozen of us got together from our from our kapaka group, <laughs> and we got together that morning and decided to go for a walk up the Munga, and we went up and I, and, um, and I said, hey, I'm going to go every every morning, every morning. Who's coming? Yeah. So you know, um, let's just start off. And then a couple more added on. Then we got to New Year's Eve, and I think I was the only one who went up to New Year's Eve. I oh, might have been Uffie who went up with me too, my wife. Yeah, I can't remember. Or well, might have actually been a couple more than that too as well. But there weren't too many of us. Yeah. You know, New Year's Eve, because everybody's getting ready to go uh, um, Celebrate. celebrating. <laughs> hey, so we went up, and uh, my uh, New Year's resolution right. is to do 30 times up the Moonga before we go to Matatini. You know, we're off to Matatini. And um, and why don't we try and get um, as many of the of the group to come up, you know, because um, what we were talking about was we need to, we need to get ourselves fit for, yeah. for Matatini. Yeah. Many of us were puffing up a storm at practices. Yeah. So um, we started encouraging everybody. And then, um, I, you know, we were posting photos and all sorts, and and, um, and my wife and I, we, we started putting up prizes, yeah. you know, for whoever did the most or whatever, you know. Or actually, it was whoever took the most beautiful photo ah, okay. of their trip up the Monga. At the end of the week, we were offering a prize. Yeah. So we sort of had about all these different things from picnic hampers to alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> do a bunch of other things, yeah. Hey, well, you know, yeah, yeah. They're they're all free things in our in our in our house. You know, they're just built up and, the and stay there. Gotcha. So we use them for prizes. And and what happened was, I think, uh, you know, with the posting of the pictures, Hemi uh, uh, Rolleston got a hold of him and was was watching, and he came to us and said, "Wow, you know, this would, this may be awesome. Yeah. Maybe we can do something to support you guys because uh, we were, you know, we were we'd gone to them." Um, or I think it was, uh, oh, no, Kumi Kumi Trust. And, um, or might have been both of them. Anyway, and we had gone to and asked them to help us with some funding, you know, to help us get to Tamatatini. Because it's in the South Island. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a really expensive trip. Yeah. And, um, and so what came back was, was that we, they would create this Hakafit thing Mm. and make it a competition between, between Tutorakawika and, um, and Atiranginui, the two groups going to Tamatatini. But it wasn't really, you know, meant to be a hard and fast sort of thing. It was just getting our groups to to um, to do something out of the square and uh, to try and get a little bit more, uh, I suppose, physical yeah. fitness yeah. into the groups that we were preparing themselves. And of course, you know, two tarakawika came chicken. All kudos to Ngatiranginu. They did an awesome job. Of getting their whānau in there and and uh, and going up, and uh, and uh, and I think our our lot uh, um, they didn't take it too seriously to start with and got behind and could never catch up. So uh, you know that was um, all kudos to uh, to those that uh, that that they took on the challenge seriously. Yes, and came out of it. And and the, the great thing was was that um, they got a financial benefit from that, mm. which was pretty cool.
it wasn't so great when I uh, because I got to 29, and uh, and then my knee sort of like gave up on me. Oh no! So I never made the 30 until uh, Matariki. Oh okay. Yeah. It's a while so, after. <laughs> yeah, that's a while after. Well, I, I really did something bad to the knee. Yeah. And then Matatini made it worse. Worse. Absolutely. Yeah, so so I ended up this little invalid, and it took all that time up to Matariki to actually get to the point where my knee was strong enough to actually go up. Yeah. And, you know, but Huckerford itself was just, uh, man, it was just, it was just awesome. I, you know, I, I don't have any other words for it except that, um, you know, it just shows what you can do with a little bit of incentive. And, uh, and people around you as well doing it with you as well, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and of course the encouragement, mm. you know, that came from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, beautiful, a beautiful co-papa. It's something a little bit more special than I guess you could say to, compared to the tourists. I mean, we have that connection with the mountain, eh? Yeah. Well, yeah. that connection for us is what makes us unique in the world. Mm, mm. We have uh, a beautiful mountain at our harbour entrance, and we put all of our identity into him, mm. and. Um, and it's not just local Māori, no, you know, no. the local uh, non-Māori that live here yeah. and have for, you know, um, a few generations, I suppose, Definitely, now. Yeah. Uh, they've yeah. come to have the same uh, regard that Tangata Whenua have for the mountain. Well, the thing about it is with, with Moal, you feel that belonging when you stand on them. You go down there, you might walk the base track, you might climb to the top, and everywhere you look, People are smiling, mm. you know, because they can feel, mm. I suppose, that vibrant energy that he gives us that allows us to have that identity and that feeling of belonging to a place. <laughs>